Today, we're going to continue. This is the middle, uh, middle message. That's what I'm trying to say. It's the middle message of a three-part series on dangerous prayers. Last week, we talked about search me. I hope you've been praying that prayer uh, this week, and I hope, I hope that you have had some success with that. I hope you've had some personal intimacy with God during this last week. I hope you've been able to hear him speak to you, and I hope that you've been able to Make modifications to your life, wherever it's needed. Next week, we're going to pray another dangerous prayer, and it's called Send Me. Send Me. Okay, Don't let me be complacent where I am. Uh, Lord, if you need me to do something different, I am up for it. Now, when we talk about Send Me next week, it's not necessarily Send Me Far Away. It's Send Me with a Purpose. And so we're going to try to define uh, what God's trying to plan for you personally. Okay, personally, what does God want me to do this next week while I'm at my workplace? What does he want me to do when I'm with my family? What does he want me to do when I'm in my neighborhood? What does he want me to do? Well, what's my personal mission in life uh, this next week? And so we're going to talk about that. But today, I'm going to give you a warning. We're going to talk about something that many of you are going to disagree with, okay? You're going to disagree with me. And it's okay. You can be wrong if you want to. Uh, but you're going to disagree because what we're going to talk about today is going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be uncomfortable. And we're going to talk today about break me. Have you ever been broken in life before? You know, and, and generally, we are not in charge of whether we want to be broken or not. But I want you to know that it's not popular because in the Christian community, we usually talk about things that feel good, right? We have this sense of feel-good Christianity that when I go away, I should just be pumped up and ready to go and excited and forgiven and all of this stuff. But today, I want us to take a little different tack, and I want us to talk about something that may be uncomfortable for you to do. Now, I'm not forcing you to do it. You do not have to do this. However, I highly recommend it, because if you don't do this, you will probably never get to that next level of intimacy with God, okay? And we're going to stay at that kind of level where it's all comfortable, feel good, and happy. And if something happens to us where it doesn't feel good and we're all happy, then we kind of question, well, where is God? Why isn't he making me feel good? And why isn't he happy? But I'm going to challenge you to pray one of the most dangerous prayers I'm ever going to ask you to pray. And hopefully it will change your life forever. It'll change the way you view God. It'll change the way you interact with God. And it'll change the way you perceive him. So I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer of break me. Now, when I say the word break, oftentimes we think of what? Stuff that's broken. And what? And how many of you ever got punished for breaking stuff at home? You know, you drop something, you break it. Grandma's vase, you know, you break grandma's vase, you get, you know, you get reprimanded for that. So we have this idea that breaking anything is bad. Anybody ever break a nose? That's a bad deal. Thank you, Bill. Bill broke his nose. Twice. Francis whacked him twice. Yeah. <laughs> On two different occasions, broke his nose. Okay, now how many of you ever broke a window? I remember we used to play baseball out in front of my house, and uh, we'd play with a fairly substantial ball. It wasn't a hard ball, but it was a pretty substantial ball. And if you hit it far enough, and you hit it across the street and through a window, it would break a window. What was the response to every young kid baseball player when you broke a window? Run. He ran like crazy. Like, uh, like nobody knew we were out here. You know, nobody knew we were But, oh, wow, what happened? I remember when my mom's bedroom window got broken. We were playing across the street at my friend's house, and somebody launched a ball over there, and they all went running. And, I thought, and they went running home. And I thought, 
where am I going to run? <laughs> you know? Oh, no. And so by the time my mom came out, I'm the only one standing there. And so, hmm, it wasn't me. Uh, yeah. You're playing out here all by yourself and you broke my window? No, it was, it was Ricky. Ricky broke your window. He's in his mom's house right now. So well, I have this aversion to anything that breaks, right? You know, you break a leg, you break an arm, you break a nose, you break anything. We have an aversion to that. So when I talk about being broken today before God, we automatically may have an aversion to that. But I want you to overcome that and just walk with me a little bit and find out what we're, what we're really talking about. Because we're going to take a look today at a couple of passages of Scripture found in the same chapter of the book of Mark. Now, when it comes to brokenness, I remember the very first experience I had with this was when I, in the 1980s. In the 1980s, I was, I was going to a church in Southern California, and we went to this, this like week-long thing. It was like after work, you'd go there, and it was in the Long Beach Arena. And you'd go there, you'd get there at 7, and you stay till 9, and you go home. They come back the next night, 7 to 9, you go back home, 7 to 9. And then on Saturday, it was like 8 to noon, and it was like an intense study on all kinds of things. And the guy that led this was a guy named Bill Gothard, and he... He talked about brokenness in a real, a real sense that, that this is something all Christians will at some point experience, or at least should experience if we don't avoid it. And I remember thinking to myself, yikes, you know, broken. I, I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good about my God. I want to feel good about my position in the world and my ability to, to do whatever God wants me to do. I want to feel good about that. And he talked about it in the sense that, uh, that I, I spoke to you earlier about. You will never really truly experience the full intimacy with God until you come to this place of emptiness in yourself, this place of brokenness. And so when we talk about brokenness today, I want you to think of it in terms of emptying myself, because there's always this sense of, of not aloneness, but helplessness when you're broken. And when you're truly spiritually broken, you realize that you don't have much to do about anything. Okay? You can participate in God's. I'm not saying that you can't participate in God's business and do that kind of stuff. But when you come to a place of brokenness, it's usually surrounding a situation in which you can do nothing to bring healing to. You can do, bring nothing to good to it. You can't bring a conclusion to it. You're just sitting there and you're just going, okay, I am at the depths of my soul and there's only one way to look, and that is to look up to God. Only God could handle this. Only God could take care of this thing. I remember I was serving in a church in Southern California, and I'd served there for like nine years. Nine years faithfully serving as a youth pastor and then as an associate pastor. And, I was, and our pastor resigned. And I thought, now's my chance. Now is my chance. I can be pastor of this church. And so I'm, I'm gearing up for that, you know, and everybody's saying, hey, Mike, you're the next guy, man. We'd, we'd, that'd be awesome if you could be the pastor of this church. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'd really like it. Yeah, yeah. And, and pretty soon I'm starting to expect it. In fact, not only do I expect it, I deserve it because I have served faithfully here. I have, I have been in the trenches. I've done, I've, done my, I've done my duty for all these years, nine years, and now I'm ready. And they got their little committee together, you know, and they started talking. And, and everybody said, hey, what about Mike? What about Mike? What about Mike? And everybody said, yeah, yeah, yeah. One guy says, no, not Mike. No, he doesn't have the experience. You know, we need somebody with experience. And I remember they, they started moving, and people quit talking to me about stuff, you know. And, 
and I'm, I'm seeing the writing on the wall here. And I'm going, uh, you know, hey, and I'm, what about Mike? You know, uh, we forget about that guy? You know, and pretty soon they're going on, they're calling these guys in from all over the country, you know, to come and preach at the church, you know, and I'm going, what's up with this? And pretty soon they hire this guy from, I think he was from Kentucky. Nothing wrong with Kentucky, but a lot wrong with this guy. And he was probably one of the most unethical people I had ever met. I remember, yeah, you know, and I, I wasn't bitter much. <laughs> but I remember we had, at the church that we were at, we had this softball league. It was a co-ed softball league. And we had, we, we had I, there were 10 teams from the church, 10 teams, 10 full teams from the church. Uh, that we that we had in this co-ed softball league, we rented the the big park out there with the lights and Saturday Friday nights. No, Saturday nights we would play, and the lights were on. And oh man, it was like big league. You know, we go down there, and I remember uh, Cindy and I were going to the to the game, and uh, and we saw this guy that they're gonna hire as the next pastor of our church. He's going to the game, so he can you know greet people and meet them and do all that stuff. And we pulled up behind him in the left turn pocket of this, of La Palma. And there's all this traffic coming the opposite direction. So as I pull up behind him, I honked. There was no place for him to go. And I honked again. And he gave me a wave. He had a, he had a pickup truck, a black pickup truck. And he gave me a wave. And I thought, Wait until he realizes who was behind him. And, and, uh, and we pull in. He, he pulls in. He starts talking to people. I pull in. And, and I thought, man, he's really going to be embarrassed? Not at all. He never even mentioned it to me ever again. And I thought, well, that was all about me, wasn't it? And God used that experience to break me. He says, Mike, it's not about you, what you deserve. It's not about what you've earned. You know, when you think about me and you, it's about me being gracious to you, giving you an opportunity to do what you've done so far. And, dude, I'm giving you an opportunity to continue to do it. So it's not about you. And I remember just being broken about that. I, just, I was so disappointed. And I was helpless. There was nothing I could do. And God used that to, to teach me the lesson of grace. The lesson of grace. It's not what you earn. It's not what you merit. It's simply that you get stuff because God gives it to you. And man, that changed my outlook for the rest of my life. I still thought I deserved to be the pastor. And to this day, I believe they made a mistake. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That was my first experience with this this brokenness. Now, you don't get broken just once. You get broken many times. Every time, I pray that God breaks you every time you become self-sufficient. You know? And it doesn't take long for us to become self-sufficient, does it? Okay? Now, let's take a look here, and we're going to look at these two passages of Scripture, and and we're going to look at them side by side, kind of, and we're going to discover two things that are a recurring theme in each one of them. Okay? In each one of them, there's a recurring two-stage theme here that I want you to jot down that I didn't leave you room to write down. Okay? So you're going to have to write it in the margin. Now, the first story that we're going to take a look at is a story about a sinful woman. Now, Luke writes about this same woman, and we know her name to be Mary Magdalene. Okay? Now, Mary Magdalene was a woman who... I'll just tell you what she was. She was a prostitute. Okay, she, was a, she was a prostitute. She would sell herself. Okay? Now, uh, it's interesting 
because how did you know in those days which women were prostitutes and which were not? And they all dressed pretty much the same. It's not like today's society in which you might recognize somebody in that trade as a prostitute simply by the way she dressed. They all dressed pretty much the same. But there was one distinguishing feature that you had for a prostitute, and that is that she smelled good. She smelled good. Now, typically, women of the time, they could not afford expensive perfume. They couldn't afford it. Now, did they need it? Yeah, they lived in a society in which there was a lot of sweat and very little bath water. Okay, so they, they, they could have used some perfume. But when a guy was walking down the street, and all of a sudden he would catch a scent, a, you know, a, a perfume scent, he'd go, oh, she's available. Oh, yeah. You know, and that would be the signal. Now, notice uh, what we have here. Um, and and let, let's take a look at Mary, first of all. Uh, she was shameful. Okay? She was shameful. The way she behaved and the, uh, the, the, the work that she did was shameful. And she was a woman who was scorned. Okay? People looked at her with disgust. She was hated by most women. And she was abused by many men. Okay? So that's where she comes from. And she comes into an encounter with Jesus. Now, Jesus loved her. All these other men would say they loved her. But Jesus loved her appropriately. And she recognized that. And so let's pick up the story because he showed her not just love, but he showed her respect and honor and dignity. Most other people did not show those things to her. No respect, no honor, no dignity. Therefore, they had for her what we might describe as superficial love at best. But Jesus showed her all of those things. And so let's, let's pick up the, let's just read chapter 14, verse 3. While he, Jesus, was in Bethany, he was reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. Now, I just love the word nard. You know, it's made of pure nard. It was a very expensive uh, uh, element in their day. And it was the derivative of this very expensive perfume. So she had this pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Okay. Now, this was the expensive perfume that she would wear. And she poured this alabaster jar on his head. She had enough for a lifetime. Okay. She had enough for a lifetime for the rest of her uh, working years. So when she does this, there's some of the people there. And, and wait a minute, let's just really set the setting here. Because we have three characters in this story, right? We have Jesus, okay? We have the lady, and we have the home of Simon the what? The leper. Now, this has all the, all the characters for a great joke, right? Jesus was a what? A rabbi. We have a rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute. They walk into a bar one day. <laughs> we have all the stuff. We have all the setting. But it's not a joke here at all. Now, when she pours this alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus' head, what do you think the response of the people were? Oh, that smells wonderful. Oh, what a gracious gift she gave. Oh, man, she just gave her all to Jesus. No, they freaked out. They said, whoa, whoa wait a minute. We could have sold that jar of perfume for a year's wages. Okay, think about your wages today. 50, 60, 70, $80,000 a year. That's how much this perfume was worth. We could have sold that and fed the poor. We could have done a lot of good ministry with that. And now most of us have read this story, right? 
And most of us would say, oh man, they just didn't have the foresight to see what was happening here. They didn't understand the true act of worship that Mary was performing here. They don't see with the eyes of Jesus like we do. Well, I want you to know that if I had been there the very first time and had never seen this happen at all, I would have gone, what's she doing? We could have sold that for $100. We could have made some money. We could have helped do this. We could have done that. What a waste of money. I would have probably said that. And I would dare say most of you probably would have too, because what an extravagant gift to give to one person, even though he be Jesus, even though he be the Son of God, even though he be the most valuable man on the planet, gosh, that's still a lot of money. And we would have freaked out about that. But Mary could see with spiritual eyes. And Mary does something that represents an internal change that has happened in her life. She had been scorned, she had been abused, she had been mistreated, she had been uh, despised, all of this stuff. And people looked down their nose at her, but there was one person in the world that did not do that, and it was Jesus. And she says, he deserves my what? He deserves my all. He deserves everything that I have. He deserves everything that I own. He deserves everything that I am. I am what I am, and I owe it to him. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am respected. I am dignified by him. And so, therefore, I give him the best that I have, and I give it to him willingly. Now, she says, in in essence, that you can have all of my life, everything I have, everything I am. That's what brokenness has led her to. Now, notice what it says here. Reclined at the table, the angel came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of nard. She broke the jar, and she poured the perfume out. She broke it and poured it out. Did she put a couple of drops on him? No, she poured it out. She emptied the jar. She emptied the jar. She poured it all out on him. She broke the jar, poured it out. When we think about our lives and when we think about that brokenness that we experience, we can always look to Jesus who respects us, loves us, gives us dignity, accepts us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us that way and wants us to become something different. And that's what has happened here for Mary. She broke the jar poured it out. She broke her life and poured it out. She gave everything she had to Jesus, to everything she knew about him, to everything she understood about his purposes, to everything she knew about his grace and forgiveness. She said, I'll give it all. That's what happens when brokenness happens. The problem with us is that we are just maybe a little bit injured, you know, maybe not fully broken, and we give a little bit. But I want you to come to a point of brokenness sometime in your life and where you say, I give it all to Jesus. I give everything I have, everything I own, everything I am to him to use as he sees fit. Now, there's a couple of places for you to fill in today. I gave you a break today, didn't I? Now, her gift represented her past. Okay, what was it? It was perfume. That perfume represented her trade, what she had done, her sinful past. And when she breaks that jar, what she's saying is, I'm breaking my ties with my past. I am no longer that person anymore. Jesus has changed me and I recognize it. And therefore, I break ties with the past. Now it also, her gift represented her what? Her future. Her future. Because her investment in life was encapsulated in that jar of perfume. It encapsulated her future because that was her future earnings. And as long as she could smell good, men would know what she was about. 
and they would be able to, to have trade with her. And so therefore, it represented her savings and her provision for the future. And she says, all of this stuff, this savings and provision for the future, I am pouring out on the Son of God, on Jesus. He is now my savings and my future. I trust him with everything that I have, with everything that I am, and I value him for the change he has made in my life. It's kind of like a fisherman who burns his boat. You know, he says, no longer am I going to have a means of getting income for the future. I'm burning that boat. I'm following Jesus. You know, it would have been cool if we'd had some stories in the Bible where Jesus goes and recruits the fishermen to be disciples. And they say, okay, I'm going, boom. And they light their boats on fire and say, I'm done with that. I'm following him. It would be cool if we had that, but we don't. But the symbolism in what she does is true and, and valuable for each and every one of us. She didn't pour out just some of her perfume because if I'd have been there, I'd have said, hey, we can still do a cool thing for Jesus and, you know, anoint him for his burial and do all that stuff. And let's take a little bit of it and do that. And then let's sell the rest and we can do some really good ministry. We could probably buy a building. We could have a really cool church. We could have this. We could have that. And so, you know, that's the way I'm thinking. But she said, no, I will give everything I have. Not part of it. Not just even the good part of it. I'm going to give all of it to him. Now, what does Jesus say about her? Well, we find in another part of the Bible where he says that wherever the good news is preached, this story will be told about her. She's going to be world famous. She's going to live beyond her generation. What it, what it tells me is that he says, this is the way things ought to be. I want her story to be told so that it will become an excitement to you, so that it will become an encouragement to you, so it will become a role model to you, so that you can do likewise. Give it all. Give it all. Well, there's another story that's told in the same chapter, verses 22 through 24, and it says this. Remember, what's the common theme here? We're looking for brokenness and poured out, right? Broken, poured out. Broken, poured out. When we're broken, we pour ourselves out. Okay, notice what happens here in verses 22 through 24. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Now, what do we call this? Some of us call it the Lord's Supper. Some of us call it communion. Okay, but it is the thing that we do to remember what he has done. Okay, now, I want you to remember that. We do communion to remember what he has done. Okay, because we're going to make a, probably a different application than you might have been uh, used to. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it, circle the word broke it, broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. This is my body. What did he do with the bread? He broke it. What's he about to do with his body? Break it. Okay, he's going to break it. Okay, he's going to pour it out. Okay, and he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is what? Poured out as a sacrifice for many. So I want you to circle that word broke. And I want you to circle those words poured out. He was broken and poured out. Jesus broke his body, died, okay, gave his life, and poured out his blood so that there could be what? A sacrifice for many people. Now, 
broken and poured out. Now, what does he say about this? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, he talks about that elsewhere. Okay? Do this in remembrance of me. Now, what is it that he's asking us to do? What's the do this? Do communion? Okay, take, some, uh, take a, a piece of stale bread that represents his body and take some grape juice that represents wine that represents his blood. I've never figured that out yet, but I'm a Baptist, so we're going to do it that way. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that we do things, we do it to what? Remember him. Now, what if, what if Jesus really meant when he said, do this, he meant be broken and poured out? What if that's what he meant? Be broken and poured out. Do what I have just done. Be broken and poured out. Man, what kind of life would you live then? It wouldn't be just every once in a while at church we come and have communion and we, you know, we think, oh yeah, thank you Jesus for dying for me. No, it gives me a mission in life now to be broken and poured out. Now I don't know what broken and poured out looks like to you, but I do know that when you're broken, you will know it. Number one, you will know it. I listened to a guy last week uh, talk, and he was talking about this brokenness. And uh, he said, you know, I, I asked my, you know, my mentor, when will I know I'm broken? When will I know I'm broken? When will I know I'm broken? And his mentor said, dude, when you are broken, you won't have to ask. You won't have to ask because you will realize one very valuable and important thing, and it is that you are helpless. Brokenness results in helplessness. And you can't help the situation that you're in. You can only rely on God. And whenever we try to put band-aids on the situation we're in so that we can help it, we're usually deferring the brokenness. Okay? We don't want the brokenness. I've got to fix this. I've got to do that. I've got to make it better. I have to. No. If you experience brokenness, I want you to just fall down. Okay? Don't try to do anything. Just fall down and submit and yield to the brokenness of God. And I want you to call out to him and say, God, I can do nothing about this situation. It's only you that can. And when I had that experience at my church, I realized that there was nothing I could do about that. Nothing. And so therefore, I just had to rely on God. You know what God did? He said, I want you to submit to this airhead guy that they just hired. I had a lady come up to me, in fact, and she says, Mike, I just think that with everything that you know and all you do in the church and stuff, you would help pastor so-and-so so much. And I thought to myself, I'd like to help him. Because I knew some things about him that were not all that flattering that people didn't know. It got to the point where I had to leave the church because I couldn't serve uh, under him uh, any longer. He had, he had been inappropriate with several women and, uh, and people just glossed it over and didn't do anything. And I said, I can't be a part of a church that, is, that can condone sin like that. I can't do that anymore. And so I had to leave. And that was another broken time because where do you go? You know, it's not like pastors just say, oh, I'll just go to another church. You know, that, that doesn't usually happen. And, uh, and so I left without anywhere to go. In fact, I've left, I left another church with nowhere to go as well. Uh, because you have to make a stand for what's right, okay? And even though you're broken and you can do nothing about it, that is the true test. When you have no means of income, okay, other than your wife, uh, when you have uh, less means of income and you, and you say, God, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to do what you say, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to stand for 
integrity. I'm going to stand for honesty. I'm going to stand for openness in the church. Uh, and he says, okay, it's time to go. You can't be there anymore. You got to go. That's when you're broken. Okay. When you know that it's going to take God to get us through. Okay. Broken and poured out. Okay. Uh, so do this. Do this is what Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of me. Be broken and poured out, just as I was broken and poured out. I want you to observe communion. We're going to do that today. We're going to have communion today. But I want you to know that this, when you take the bread, I want you to think, man, this is Jesus' body, which was broken for me. I need to do that. I need to be broken for him. And then when we take the juice and we drink it, we say, this is the blood that was poured out so that it could save many people. I need to have that same attitude. I need to be poured out. I need to be done of my fullness of myself. You know, I need to pour out myself and drink in God. Okay. Now, here's, here's something that you might want to write down. Oftentimes, we impress people with our strengths, don't we? So-and-so is really good at this. Man, that's impressive. Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelistic speakers that I've ever heard. He was really good at that. He was impressive. And so we, we impress people with our strengths. But you know where we connect with people? In our weaknesses. In our weaknesses. You know what weakness causes you to do? It causes you to cry. Your weakness often causes you to cry. In fact, brokenness will cause you to cry. Because you can do nothing about it. And those tears of grief, those tears of regret, those tears of remorse, those tears of whatever it is that surrounds your brokenness come out. Dr. Henry Cloud, he's a, a psychologist. He wrote, he's written, written several leadership books. In one of his books, he talks about uh, that we cry and our tear ducts are in our eyes. Pretty amazing, huh? Now, they could have been anywhere. God could have put your tear ducts anywhere, right? Sometimes I think God put my tear ducts in my armpits, you know, because I can sweat like no, nobody's business, you know. Uh, and that would be cool because you can kind of conceal it for a little while. Uh, you know, that would be cool. You can conceal that. He, he could have put your tear ducts, you know, maybe in your feet, you know, and your shoes and your socks would soak it up and nobody would know. But he says he put it, you got, God put your tear ducts in your eyes so that people could connect with you when you go through grief. So people can see it. Now, how many times have you tried to hide your crying? You know, I believe that crying is where we connect with people. Crying is where we connect with people's brokenness, connect with, their, uh, with empathy, with what they're going through, maybe sympathy with what they're going through. That's where we connect with people is in their brokenness. Okay, so when Jesus says, do this, do this. Connect with people in your brokenness. Your brokenness is not intended to be private. Your brokenness is intended to be shared. Shared by the people who love you, people who care for you, people who want to see the best for you. So let people see your tears. One of the things I found, too, in brokenness is that many times your most effective future, your most effective ministry comes out of brokenness. I remember there was another time I was at another church and and I, I had told the people of this church, you know what? I want to retire here. I want, I want this to be the last church I serve. I want to be here. In fact, it wouldn't bother me to, be, to die while I was preaching. That would be pretty cool. And I'd like it to be right in this church. I, I want to serve you, and I want to serve you for the rest of my life. And I got to serve there for 16 years. And there came a time in which 
you know, and I, I hate to say this, but it might have gotten to the place where it was kind of routine for me. I expect to die here. This is going to be, you know, I can see the future. I can, I can, it's just going to be great. I'm going to get there and, and you know, the church is going to be doing well and people are going to be happy and, and it's just going to be great. Well, through a series of events, one of my best friends kind of decided it was time for me to go. And uh, he was on the staff of the church and, and he got some other people that thought it was time for me to go. And, and I have always believed, you know, I believe in the system of elders in a church. And I believe, I told the elders from the get-go when we formed the elder body, I said, if there is one of you, it doesn't take a majority, it will not take unanimity. If there's one of you who believes it's time for me to go, say the word and I'll go. And so this one person came to me and said, hey, you know, uh, so-and-so said he's going to leave the church if you don't, if you don't resign. And I thought to myself real quickly, man, that's the last stronghold this church has. If that guy goes, I think we've got it made in the shade. And this guy that came and told me that, I said, what do you think? And he says, it's dire. Those were his exact words. He says, it's dire. And uh, I said, okay. So I announced to the other elders of the church that I'd be leaving. And one of the guys said, I don't believe that. This guy would not say that about you. He is your best friend. He would not say that. So he went and asked him. He said, yeah, that's what I said. He came back and said, I don't know what's going on here. I said, I don't either, but I do know that that God is in charge. I have made this statement. I'll stand by that statement. If one elder comes to me and says, it's time to go, it's time to go. And so I did. I resigned and left the church. That was another brokenness time in my life. Brokenness time in my life. I thought, man, what am I going to do now? I'm, you know, I was well past the age of fruitfulness in ministry. And uh, I thought, you know, that's, that's going to stink. This is going to be bad. I don't know what we're going to do. And I remember Cindy and I went for a walk one Monday night. And I told her, I said, I'm going to leave the church. And I thought she'd go, oh, no, you can't. What are we going to do? She goes, yeah, okay. She was ready to go too. She knew. She knew what God was doing. And so I, in a minute. And so I said, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be okay. It's, and so we got done with our walk. I came back and I was settled. Man, if Cindy's on board with me, I can go anywhere. And so... Um, so we, we got, we resigned, I resigned, left the church and, uh, I thought, well, I got to get a job, you know, and, oh, by the way, I got cancer. <laughs> I didn't tell you that part. Got cancer, uh, had cancer surgery, recovered from that and, and left the church and, uh, and so I had to get a job and, you know, I don't know what retired pastors do, you know, or pastors without a job do. Uh, so I got a job at Walmart. I went to, job, I went to work at 5 in the morning, worked till about 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, just stocking uh, vegetables in the produce department, and did that. And thought, you know, well, you know, if you want to talk about a broken person, you know, who, you're, you're in ministry, and the next day you're, you've got this 27-year-old kid telling you how to do the job at Walmart, you know, that's a broken guy. And, uh, you know, I, I say that with the least pride I could say. Uh, but, you know, it had not been my experience. And so there I was, and I submitted to that and just did what I could do. And uh, then got, a, got an offer to have another job. And I said, after this, I'll, I'll take just about anything. 
And uh, so I sold used cars. And uh, there's another humbling experience. It's hard to do that honestly. Well, it's no, no, it's not. It's easy to sell used cars honestly. It's very difficult to make money, though. Okay. I would, I, I, and I, I've made a vow to God, if I take this job, I'm going to do it honestly. I'm going to do whatever. Uh, I'm, I'll do it with the utmost integrity and honesty. And I, I would always warn people when I'd sell them a car. I'd say, okay, you're going to go into the finance manager. He's going to try to sell you some stuff. He's going to try to sell you two things that he's really big on, and that is gap insurance, and he's going to try to sell you an extended warranty. Okay? The car that you just bought has warranty still on it. Okay? It still has factory warranty on it. You do not need that. If at the end of that warranty you want to do it, you can do it over the Internet much cheaper. And they would call me sometimes from his office. They would text me. I'd be just outside. He's there in his office. They, do I need this? Do I need that? No, no, no. And I did it with honesty. I had a lady come to me one time, and she says, you know, I, 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 want, I need a new car. Uh, my car's breaking down, and I'm spending X number of dollars. I said, well, let's figure this out. How much money does it take to fix your car? And so we extrapolated that. Oh, gosh, I'm spending $200 a month, it seems like, fixing my car. I said, well, there's one thing you have to consider, and that is the time it's down. But the other thing is $200 a month comes to $2,400 a year. How much do you think your payments are going to be on another car? She goes, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. And so I said, you're better off keeping your car and just fixing it. And get it fixed once and for all. Don't, don't nickel and dime it. Get it fixed and drive it. And she, oh, gosh, thank you. Thank you so much. I didn't expect that. But doing it honestly. But it broke me financially. Okay? Not only was I broken you know, in the position I was in, but it was broken financially. And it got to the point where uh, you know, we just have to depend on God and Cindy's good job. Uh, but we have to depend on that. We have to follow him. And so brokenness will always lead you to a sense of helplessness. And that's my point. Sometimes you get to that point where you're just helpless. You just, ah. But you are never alone. You are never forsaken. God is always there with you in whatever situation you find yourself in. So our job here at this church is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand what fully means. Fully means that there's not one area of your life, not one area of your existence that is not under God's sovereign control. Now, a lot of times we like to think we submit to God, but we hold back little places. So most Christians today are partially devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's not what this church is about. We want you to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ where you submit to whatever it is that he has placed in your path and you see it for his benefit. Now, the gospel is an invitation. It's an invitation for you to come and be broken. It's to come and be broken. No longer relying on yourself, but from that point forward, relying on the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, to lead you to what is right and good. And so this morning, if you have not made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything you have. Okay? It's free, but it's going to cost you everything you have. It's going to cost all of your self-dependence, all of your self-reliance, all of your self-determination, and it's going to put it under God. It's going to be God-reliant, God-determined, and God-sustaining. And so, therefore, that's what being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Now, you can keep coming to church 
and you can keep being partially committed. You can keep doing that. But I'm going to ask you to pray a real dangerous prayer, and you don't have to. You don't have to do this. But I'm going to ask you to pray a real dangerous prayer this next week and say, God, break me. Break me of all of the stuff that I'm using to keep myself from being completely and fully dependent on you. Break me of that stuff. 